Hey guys, it's Nathan and this is episode number 6 of the Nathan Seward Show. The Nathan Seward Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. Well, welcome to the show. How are you? How's your week been? I hope you're going well. And how's your 2017 going? Boy, we're a few weeks into it already. Time's flying by. How are those New Year's resolutions? You're up at 6am every day, you're drinking plenty of water, you're getting down to the gym, get rid of that muffin top. Come on, you said you would. Who's better than you? Make things happen. Time's flying by. Uh, thank you for all your feedback on my last episode. It was a review of 2016. It was a little bit more personal, open, vulnerable than, than usual, and it seemed to strike a chord with some of you, so I appreciate your feedback on that. You can give me uh, feedback anytime. Uh, email me, Nathan, at NathanSeward.com. I reply to every email. And whether you want to give feedback on the podcast, if you're interested in one-on-one coaching with me, anything, feel free to hit me up. So some exciting new developments for 2017. I'm adding a new uh, part to the show, which is 30-day experiments. So I want to take on an experiment, one experiment every month, and report back to you each episode, at the start of each episode, how that's going. And I don't want to choose the experiment. I want you to choose it. I want you to get involved. So on my website, nathanseward.com, there's a new section at the top called 30-day experiments, where you can vote for which experiment you'd like me to do. You can add your own experiment or you can vote up other people's experiments that have been put up there. Uh, There's 30 days of no sugar. There's 30 days of uh, no cell phone, no internet, 30 days no complaining and a whole bunch of other ones. So go and check it out, nathanseward.com, 30-day experiments. And I'll start the first one in February. So we've got a couple of weeks for you guys to vote which one you'd love to see. And then I'll get into it. I think it'll be a little bit of fun and... Yeah, I think you'll, uh, you'll get a kick out of that. I'm so excited about my first guest of 2017. I'm so excited that it's a Kiwi, and it is Sam Johnson. Sam is the fresh-faced, curly-haired frontman of the Student Volunteer Army that was such a, a shining light after the tragedies of the Christchurch earthquake. Sam rallied a whole bunch of uh, friends and uni students to go and help clean up people's houses after the earthquake, and it really was one of the... Um, cool stories that came out of the earthquake. Since then, Sam's gone from strength to strength. He hosted Prince Charles and Camilla in Christchurch. He hosted the Dalai Lama, uh, and he's recently launched a new venture called We Visit that uh, for elderly people it is a service. If you live overseas and you want your mother, your grandmother, your grandfather to be visited, you can pay We Visit to send a really cool person that's vetted by them uh, to go around and hang out with your um your relative, uh, say, once a week, and you just pay a subscription for that service. I think it's a great idea, and Sam talks uh, in-depth about that. Uh, He also goes into some deep topics like uh, him coming out and dealing with his sexuality. Uh, His father was sadly uh, recently diagnosed with terminal cancer, so the process he's gone through to to come to terms with that and, and, and be at peace with his dad. And it's just a really interesting, open, vulnerable conversation with Sam. He's such a great guy. I love him, and I think he's going to go a long way. He'll be certainly one to watch in the future. And we first met each other on a, a wild couple of weeks, and we both happened to cross paths in New York. So we ended up partying and going to a whole load of drag shows and going to comedy shows and stuff. We just had a really wild time in New York when we first met. And so uh, we joined this conversation when Sam and I are discussing uh, some of the cool parts of that time that we spent in New York. So enjoy this personal conversation with a very powerful Sam Johnson. I think you can be your, you can be anyone in New York, and that for me was the really appealing part of my three months or so there. 
Uh, and that's, I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about personal and professional development, and I think that's a key part is being able to be yourself somewhere, well, going somewhere where you can be yourself. Uh, mm. And then that helps actually find who you are, or at least, um, in some senses, validate that you are actually okay as you are, um, just as you are. Was that a big part of it for you, going to New York? Was that the first time you kind of lived overseas properly? I think it was the first time um, living. No, I've lived overseas before. I lived in, in the UK for a year after I finished school and did a gap year. And that, I mean, that was probably the most transformative of my life because it was going from being a student right into being a teacher. And I remember arriving on the first day and my uh, the, uh, the, um, the drama teacher of the school that I was at in the middle of the Brick and Beacons in Wales, um, she'd recently just had a hip operation. Um, and I went to, this, to the, the, the school hall and went to take my classes was on my, on the schedule as a 17 year old uh, and the teacher didn't show up so I just took the kids into the into the hall uh, and we started playing drama games for for the whole period uh, and we did that we had a great time and then the kids left and I went to see the senior master and I said well look the teacher didn't arrive what happened and um, he said oh actually she's not going to be in for a while uh, well, how about you just you just take the class for for a bit um, and it was it was crazy and literally I just I regurgitated uh, basically tips and <laughs> techniques I'd learned at school with this group of 32 11-year-olds. Um, and I was there in uh, my suit and tie and uh, older than them, and 11-year-old doesn't really know the difference of an adult other than someone who's hugely taller than them. An 18-year-old man would um, be 50 to them. Exactly, exactly. So that was fine until they realized and somebody actually found out that I was only 17 and I wasn't a teacher. <laughs> And then the whole thing <laughs> fell apart. And they were screaming and climbing up the, the scaffolding in the, in the theatre. Oh, no. Um, but there was something in that about the, the confidence that you're being just thrust into the situation. You have to deal with it. Um, and you've got to make the most of it. So New York, that was hugely influential. But New York, for me, was kind of another version of that. Um, going, I guess, after uh, some really great successes in New Zealand, to go to New York where, frankly, no one, they don't care you know, who, who you are, what you do. It's just um, do your thing and do it well uh, have a, uh, and do whatever you want after that. Um, so that, that was a big, it was a big learning curve, I guess, um, but also really helpful just to escape my own bubble in New Zealand to go and have that experience. Um, and really, you sort of find yourself uh, again on a different level just by having to. I mean, a lot of time spent alone, a lot of time spent without all the creature comforts of home, um, working at a job that was extremely hard um, and something I'm not used to, uh, and with people who are who, who, you know, incredibly intelligent and skilled at their, at their work. So, so what were you doing in New York? What, what was the purpose of being there working-wise? I wanted to get uh, and learn um, a new set of skills, and so I worked for a, um, a, a political um, intelligence agency who um, analysed the politics in different countries um, to figure out if a, an investment is, um, is is going to be a good one. And so, not something I'd done before, but a, a bit of a politics geek. So, uh, analysing the politics of different situations and different regimes and how that might influence a, a mining oil or gas investment. Um, I initially started going after the Nepal earthquake because um, the, the firm were interested in um, some people I, um, well, just in, um, in, in what's going on in Nepal. And I basically just went as, a, as the most junior member of staff 
um, to to help out. Uh, and the Nepal work didn't end up follow, following through, but I just just absorbed as much as I could and learned how um, essentially a, a large network of um, former intelligence agencies and uh, agents and um, and some spies that really worked to how, what, what's their what's their world? Um, all very ethical, um, uh, just good good intelligence, just doing um, doing your homework in the most extreme way. Um, so basically, it was a, a due diligence firm, um, and a lot of it that I did was just the very basic level of due diligence, which was uh, what I'd call extreme googling um, from every different angle. Um, I think if the one thing I took away from it was you, look, you see some examples of, the, of businesses around the world who, from the outside, you think, "Wow, you would do, you would, you would have all this sorted," um, but everyone makes mistakes, uh, and people miss. It's very easy to miss things, um, and so I never forget one example. We worked on a very public case, um, a big a mining investment from a from a billionaire in, in the UK invested in a mine in Indonesia. Um, only the mine didn't actually exist. So they bought this mine, but the mine is not there. You know, and eight hundred million dollars later, they got them. So I, I just—it it amazed me as a young guy in New York that well, how does this even happen? How 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 does it happen? And so you sort of see through, like I was in Wales, you see through the the perception that just because the person next door is wearing a suit and they're very experienced doesn't mean they don't make mistakes and doesn't mean they don't miss things. Um, and, and have, I guess, colossal fuck-ups, um, which, which, which that was. Um, so, yeah, a pretty informative and, and super interesting um, experience of like, my personal development. I think it's funny, like, when you're a kid, you think, man, like, adults just have everything sorted. Like, everything's under control. Adults are so smart, and they just, everything's under control. And then as you work in different places and get a bit older, you realize... Nobody really has any idea what's going on. Everybody's just winging it like everybody else. Yeah, totally. Um, and and but and that's the fun of life, I think. Like, because I, I kind of got a bit worried about. It. I was like, oh, how are you going to learn everything? And you get a bit anxious about it. Then you just actually that's the that's the joy of of life. And what I'm learning is a like someone who I've literally only had my company for six months. Um, it's 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 the that's the fun of it. Try something doesn't quite work. Oh. Try something else, and um, that's the, that's the adventure. It's, that, that's what excites me to get up in the morning. Actually, that there, there's no there's no magic solution, and no one else knows everything as much as um, what our team does about our particular company. So we can get as much advice in the world as we want, but at the end of the day, we've got to make the decision. Um, and you can't outsource that responsibility. Mm. Um, and that's not quite, for everyone. Quite, like that's not that kind of challenge is not for everybody. Like that's very particular to an entrepreneur, isn't it? Just loving that, uh, not knowing, yeah. loving the challenge of problem solving every day. Yeah, I think um, absolutely. Uh, I didn't, I didn't. I'm still working out whether I love that or not. I mean, some days <laughs> it's great, some days it's like horrendous. Um, but that's that's basically our job: making little decisions. Yeah. Uh, so let's go back. Yeah. Uh, wind wind the clock back a little bit. So. You know, you said coming from New Zealand, going to New York, going to to Wales. It's a it's a big shop for uh, for a Kiwi from Christchurch. So, where does it start for you? If we we went to the same high school in Christchurch, yes. <laughs> what was your experience like there? Tell me the the story of you know your your journey through that school. 
Oh, um, well, I probably didn't have a great start in the school. Um, I didn't have a, didn't really want to go there, and I didn't really. Um, my parents are just were just breaking up, and um, my mum actually lived in Christchurch and worked just a block up the road from Christ College, um, and I was a, a boarder, uh, which was difficult because mum was like right there, and I was yeah. let's face it, I was a bit of a mummy's boy. Um, <laughs> so I sort of struggled for a start, and. Um, and there were some great people in the boarding house where I was who, who really showed a lot of care and um, affection and um, a couple of guys who got off on the wrong foot um, who, you know, I've got a huge respect for them now, um, but it, we just didn't, I don't know, we just didn't hit it off and, you know, what um, what, what high schools are like. It's uh, everyone's sort of trying to find their, their way and find their place. Um, and I didn't really know who I was or what my place was. Um, so you know, leaving the boarding, boarding house and uh, went to a day school um, from there, and um, and at the same school, so just a day house, uh, and that was great. I, I really found um, music and um, choir and drama, as I sort of mentioned earlier, and that made my experience there just incredible. I found my people who were sort of thinking a little alike, more like me, and um, was a bit okay, I guess, with my my slight weirdness. Um, and, uh, Hugely, I had I had a great time. Um, sort of very friendly and just um, just tried to have fun. I wasn't in the top classes by all, any means. In fact, I had uh, really poor spelling, so I was always in the low low English classes. Um, but always tried to make friends with the with the brainy kids at the top of the classes. Who um, I thought oh, that that would that'll be useful in the future. <laughs> um, so. So my life, I guess, from the start has always been about cobbling together um, different groups of people who who can help make things happen because I couldn't figure it out on my own. Um, so that sort of disability, if it were back at school, um, has turned into a bit of a strength. So I'm quite happy with that. It's quite a strategic way of thinking. Yeah, or just having to. I like working with people. I like organising large large groups and events and things. So organised a few things at school and a lot of um, sort of house plays and. Um, that was the great thing about that school. Yeah, I've, I've found my, like where I fit in academically was terrible. Um, but where Christ College picked you up was all the extracurricular stuff, like the, um, I was writing for the newspaper, working on the house plays, working on the radio station. And yeah, so sure. You, you could kind of find your place a little bit. But I remember, I remember yeah. showing up on day one, like, I looked about seven years old till I was 20 pretty much. So, and I was about that height as well. And coming from like a small state school on the outskirts of Christchurch and then suddenly going into this quite clicky environment and realizing there was, there was quite a lot of segregation, you know, like in, in the state school, it was all just, it was boys and girls and we were all friends and there wasn't a problem. We danced merrily around the school every day. Um, but then going to Christ College, it was like, right, this is where the big boys hang out. There are seniors and there's juniors. There's boarders and there's day boys. There's those that came from Medbury and Cathedral Grammar and there's those that didn't. Those that play cricket and those that don't. Those that play rugby and those that don't. It was my first introduction to, like, what group do you belong to? Who are you? Like, what? what's – how can we segregate you? What box can we put you into? Uh, and I found that very challenging. I didn't. I didn't like that. I like being friends with no. everyone. I don't like. Yeah, uh, I don't like not fitting in. So, that I found that was a big learning curve. Like right from day one. 
Yeah, it's um, it's, it's I mean, schools like any school is it? They're bizarre places, really, aren't they? Because you, you, they are. You do try to be put in a box, and but um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I go back to my to, to Christ, I was a bit now um, the different speaking at leadership. Mm, that's always leadership weird. days, and it's always weird. It was completely weird because so much was exactly the same, but. In fact, um, the, the the students even look the same as we did. It's just we, we've just grown up, and we're those old people who go back for the reunions. Um, it's, it's still I still fondly remember it as one of the, some of the best time of my life. Mm. I think um, school and university, particularly, I think will always be that for me. Yeah, I didn't. It was a challenging time. I was happy to leave. Like I, I, by the time I left, all I wanted to do was fly airplanes. And yeah. that's what everybody kind of tells you. Like once school, you don't get to choose, but once you leave school, then you get to choose your friends. You get to choose who you spend time with every day. You get to choose what you want to do with your own time. And that was very much true for me. Like I was very, very happy for it to end. But it was a different yeah. experience for you. Eh? Like that was where you really, really found yourself. And yeah, I just I, I think I found that I what, what I some of the areas I liked. Although that's been my career has gone in a completely different direction. And I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't change that. But I would never have dreamed I'd be doing what I'm doing now. Um, nor had the confidence to do it, actually. Um, I don't think. Hmm. Um, I think a lot, a lot for me that I struggled with at school was um, being in a low class and being con- not considered academically bright. Uh, and that the stigma of that is still, I mean, it's, you still struggle with that a little bit because my, um, you, you. Just because you're in a, in a from having poor spelling that you and bad English skills, that puts a, a certain stigma on you that that you self perpetuate, um, and but there's little ways to get around that. But it does sort of oh no, I, it, it's a real confidence. Um, so I think that's. Uh, but I had you know great teachers who help who help you through it. Um, it's fascinating isn't it I, I never really thought about it like that but you're right there's a lot of the guys that I coach have not done particularly well at school and have kind of carried this weight of being stupid into into their really? lives yeah and it's interesting it's like that what's that quote that if you judge a fish on its ability to climb trees it will yeah. forever walk the earth thinking that it's stupid um, it's that kind of thing. Like, I guess as a school, you've got to divide people up into, you know, groups um, to help them get the best out of their education. But if you do end up in that that bottom tier, then maybe you carry that around with you that you're not the best or you're not smart, which is not that's necessarily right. true, right? No, not at all. And I think that's that's that. I mean, it's talked about a lot. But that's the huge problem with education system. Is it? Yeah, if it's if it is sort of generalized across all the use for people are all the same around the same level of intelligence um you get a whole lot of people who just don't fit in and don't have confidence to do what they do and they don't end up doing the good things and, and using their gifts in the right way uh they end up um sort of falling in with the wrong crowd or um or doing something that's not so good and make a few mistakes and suddenly that's actually the spiral of of um mm. of you end up in I mean, if you look, there's a lot of research I love looking at around the spiral of young people into um, unemployment or into prisons or gangs or things like that. And they're all little indicators from early on when actually we just haven't focused enough on what are people's natural gifts. Like we all have gifts. Um, and what, what are those unique little things that we can 
we, we each actually bring to the world that we can we, we can work on um, but it just takes that different level of patience to understand them yeah a lot of and to lot really of, like, um, effort individual effort and identify them too yeah 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 interesting um, so you, you your parents separated you know when you're 11 12 did they when you're just about to start high school yeah, it was it was the a term before high school. I went from a little little Mayfield primary, and into uh, Heaton Intermediate in Christchurch, uh, and that was a that was a huge school, big state school. I was only yeah. there for one term, um, and I had sort of made made one or two friends, um, or particularly one friend, and she, just someone um, she just befriended me on my way home one day um, <laughs> on my scooter. Um, and it was so nice, and it was sort of the first time of making a new friend. And I'll never forget that um, that, that feeling of, of somebody somebody being so kind to say, "Let's scooter home together" because we live sort of nearby. Um, uh, but it was, yeah, it was a tough time. The parents separating, and um, there's so so many people of my age. I mean, we had our parents um, uh, separate, or something sort of happened. Um, so what impact does it have? Like I'm lucky my parents were always have always been together, but I know for a lot of kids when their parents separate at that age, they they can have a huge impact, like blaming yourself or just the turmoil of going between different houses. Or was there any of that for you? No. How did you? Yeah, there was a there was a bit. I mean, I think the main the main one was figuring out well, what is my relationship with mum and dad now? Mm. And I was really close to my mum for a long time. Afterwards, and then now I'm really close to both of my parents, thankfully, and and and, and um, sort of built and created a new relationship with dad. Uh, but it's it's that it's it's difficult going, but yeah, as you say, going between houses and trying to figure out well who's right and who's wrong on all these different issues because mm. you can't help but hear a different side of the diff- of the same story, and you can't avoid a family argument on something. And, and I think that's both um and just crippling sometimes but, um but it was also just exactly the way of life like that's how um how families operate actually they they operate completely you know, as, as you say Nathan, like imperfect and um that's that's the way it is so the, the quicker we sort of come to accept that and then try to deal with it and not not try and put your assumptions of how your family should be on them um i found that's how Build a good relationship with my family, even just in the last uh, couple of months. Um, when they, you know, when they break up, and it's, uh, it's 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 tough, um, but it's not um, it's not something you can't you, know, you can get over it, and they can get over it too. And actually, my parents will, have been far happier separated, um, so that's where you are unique in that way. Mm. Yeah. And how's it? Because I know you're you've done a lot of you know work getting closer to your dad and your dad's not well right yeah no so he's got he well, he got diagnosed with terminal cancer um about uh nine months ago and uh, he was given nine months to live um and actually right now he's uh um he's in, doing exceptionally well he had a really good operation right before christmas great yeah, and miraculously, yeah, he's looking the best he has, and he's releasing out um, a farm, and uh, which is a great decision, uh, and just doing a bit more things for him. And, and you know, he may live for another year or two. Now they've they've really said they've got all the cancer, and the chemo stopped the rest of it. So it's it's honestly the best news possible, which we've oh, got right for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Um, so super super cool. Um, 
but now on reflection to how I was at the start of his cancer, it was so much about me rather than being about him and so much about what I wanted to do with my dad, not what about what he wants or what, um, or, let's say even trying to think of activities to do together. We sort of polar opposite personalities, but actually very similar in some ways of me saying, well, you know, well, let's go fishing for a day or something. And, and actually all dad wants to do, the only thing he wants to do is be on the farm. Uh, and just he, but he wants his dream was always for me to help him on the farm, right? Um, and that was never my dream. Uh, and so being, being like the only son, um, and being gay too, and that that you know that goes down just brilliantly, really. Um, farm only son doesn't go farming, works on a volunteer project, and does sort of crazy hippie things with entrepreneurs. I mean, you it's know, a cruel joke. It's a cruel things. joke to play on a Canterbury farmer. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when we're really sort of at each other I'll thank him for sending me to an all, all boys school um, but no don't say that too much but, but honestly all he wants to do he just wants to spend time with me on the farm which I love uh, And but it's taken me so long to admit that and to actually say look that, that's all I need to do too um, going down there and just spending a few days uh, two days actually and one night so I figured out the perfect recipe not too much more otherwise we both get sick of each other yeah um, and it's just quality time doing not much. Um, but my my projection of what he would be doing, or he should be doing because his life is short, um, was completely wrong. Uh, and it took me sort of accepting and acknowledging that. Um, because if I was in his situation, um, you know, I'd be... So I would have sold the farm and I'd be traveling around the world and, you know, doing all these crazy things. Yeah, into the bucket list. Uh, but that's not his dream. And so I was really frustrated that he's not living my dream since he could be. Yeah. Um, so there's, I don't know about all this, but it's, that's, for me, a really just to unpack, un, unpack our own motivations about why we are trying to get someone to do something. Yeah, Because generally absolutely. it's about ourselves. Of so, course. With, yeah, with family relationships, you've got to undo it. And I, I really I've had, a, had a frosty relationship with half of my family members um, for the last year, and I'm kind of only seeing now I've actually approached it the wrong way. Hmm. It's a common thing, again, like what I, a lot of the people that I talk to and a lot of people that are listening to this is just strained relationships with family and parents in particular and especially mm-hmm. sons and fathers you know that just have different priorities yep. that have different ways of seeing the world and how do you how do you form a relationship how do you get some relationship that works for both of you i think you touched on it on a couple of things one is you have to understand their point of view and it might not be what you agree with but they aren't going to change their mind that's who they are and if you can accept yeah. the reality as it is that you are this way and they are that way and you don't agree necessarily but that's life people are different and then try and find a little bit of common ground and find that environment or time together that works is the second thing you know for you two days one night that's perfect okay we get Mm. everything we need we catch up and then it's time to go perfect for some people it's an hour on the phone once a month for other people, it's go around for dinner three nights a week. But you find that yeah. sweet spot for your relationship, I think, is crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And not, um, yeah, it doesn't have to be um, too much. That's what I'm sort of understanding. 
Yeah, I remember that early on. You know, I mean, for you, a crazy situation like to try and improve a relationship when your your dad's been given that kind of diagnosis of nine months, it puts a a new spin on it, doesn't it? Because a lot of us think we just have all the time in the world to make these relationships just, work or not work. That's right. I think it um, it, it put pressure on me to fix it which actually was the total wrong pressure to put on uh, because I, I tried to fix it how I would try and fix anything. So you become <laughs> a fixer. Yeah. Actually, the best advice I got on dad was um, it's not your problem, mm. which is actually the best thing. I mean, uh, and it's the same when so mum had cancer too um, and breast cancer, and that's gone really well. She's fine. Um, but the best advice was it's not your problem. It's their problem. You are their child, or you're their whatever auntie, or you know whatever your relationship to this person is. You can't try and fix it; it's their problem to deal with, and particularly with parents, um, it's their problem. You can support them with it. Um, the second you try to fix it, uh, actually, I think that's where problems emerge. Mm. Um, and so, I've really enjoyed that sort of, and got a lot out of that line of thinking because you know, in the first trip, my first trip down, I went to stay in Wellington at the time. Uh, came down, he'd just been diagnosed, everything was maybe diagnosed three weeks ago, everything up in the air, what are we going to do, how are we going to deal with this? Um, I went down for the weekend, um, ended up staying the week. The weekend was nice, it was sad, but it was nice, we had a good time. But it got to Sunday night and Dad was like, uh, you know, we got into this huge argument about, well, you know, you should you should have a real job. No one can just ditch their work and stay on the farm for a week if you haven't planned it. Blah blah blah. Um, <laughs> and it just it spiraled into this really negative, unhelpful thing. Mm. And but it was because I was trying to fix it. And actually, the whole our relationship it blew up over um, me putting some uh, like pumpkin seeds in his muesli in the morning. He likes muesli just plain. And I was like, no, 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 this is better for you. Ir- to be fair, Sam, that is irritating. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, But it was just this, but the smallest thing actually just escalated this. Um, and that's a great joke in our family now that you know, I'm going to put, put some bird seeds in there. Or bird <laughs> seeds, as you call it. Or, or, or lettuce and anything. You know, oh, don't put the rabbit food in there. <laughs> so close. I mean, the, the generation gap is quite big, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so what parents, does the day look like now? So, if you're just to get a little bit more specific, if you're heading down to the farm for a weekend, what what is the day? How are you walking in the door? What do you approach it with? How do you get yourself in the right frame of mind now? Uh, I don't go there when I'm exhausted, which is the first thing, which I always used to do. It's if crucial. I was like run out of everything else, I'd be like, oh, the world's ending. I, I really can't cope with anything. I'll go home to refuel. For a few days, yeah. Um, and actually, I'm an adult now. I don't need to go there for recharge. I can go there to relax for a small holiday and see my parents, but it's not the place where I go to deal with all my problems. And when I changed that, it actually got better because I wasn't always seeking advice. And it was it was really um, again the concept that you taught me upgraded that relationship to not just be the the you're dependent on them. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean to say we don't, which we always do, have huge advice sessions. Mm. Um, but it's not being exhausted there um, and being too bothered, like can't be bothered talking to anyone because I'm so tired and I'm sick of talking to people. So the second one would be, um, I guess the 
time length. So going um, and having a couple of like one activity that we're going to do. We're going to come and we're going to clean out the shed. We're going to come and we're going to uh, fix up the old truck that he's always trying to get going. And we're going to come and um, I'll, I'll help you out do a specific task. Uh, and that means we've got something to do and a sort of focus of our activities. So we can catch up, have a coffee, a cup of tea or whatever, go and do the task, finish, have dinner and a couple of drinks. Um, next morning, hop up, do some other jobs, relax, head back to Christchurch. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's not too burdensome on either of us, which is cool. And we, we can have a fun time. Mm, that's great. Um, so no, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's bizarre that it was, that it actually was so, I found it so difficult, um, about how to just spend time with my dad. Um, well, it's interesting. Like you, you say, it's all about context and so much of life is about context and what, if you're going down there, if you're going down to see him in the context of fixing his illness or fixing the relationship, that's going to be frustrating. But if you go down there in the context to, hey, I'm going to go and spend time with my dad doing stuff that he wants to do. Yeah. It's, it's changes setting, the whole nature it changes of it. Changes the whole nature, yeah. So having the right context for anything, I think, is yeah. crucial. It's kind of lowering expectations a bit too. It's just, just hang out. You don't have to do much at all. Um, even just the shared time so which is yeah I was just going to say um, at what, what being gay you know and coming out of the closet what, how did that change the relationship or was that a difficult phase with your your parents yeah. as well yeah it was I mean dad um, he, he actually found out by through my sister unfortunately um, he was at his uh, sort of high school or was at um, his prep school's reunion um and my sister's uh friend's parents said to him oh um so great that sam's come out of the closet blah 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 blah." oh wow um in a really kind of serious way that's sort of unfair but isn't they it? they were genuinely genuinely fun and then um they went back to see my stepmom and um and uh, and she sort of had a fairly fair inclination um <laughs> <laughs> i mean it wasn't exactly hard i was more flamboyant at school than i am now i think <laughs> but dad, I mean, he, dad was, he just went to, he went to bed for a week. He couldn't, it just destroyed him. He oh, wow. was so shattered by it. I um, mean, just think, I think it was one thing, ex, having a suspicion. Hmm. It's another thing, um, having a confirmation. And I was living in the UK at the, at the time. Um, and I, my sister, um, in back social media and then in 2007 was, um, was Bebo was all the rage. Wow. So my sister, yeah, um, old. Publicly, yeah, I know. Publicly, uh, Bebo'd me saying, um, "Hey Sam, oh, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Hey Sam, I hope you're having a nice time in Wales. Uh, BT Dub, Dad knows you're gay." Wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh, "So well." Um, so I sent him a couple of big emails and let him know about it. But it, my view, it just time is the only thing that made it better. Mm. Um, even now, we, Tyler, my partner, and I, we had um, we've got these two lovely Argentinian girls who live with us, and uh, they moved in, and and she said, "Oh, we've got these two girls coming in," and Dad's like, "Oh, good, one each, go and marry them." I mean, wow, <laughs> the jokes never end. Sure, but I, I've come to accept that basically every visit there's going to be one kind of kind of joke mm. um, that used to really offend me, 
but it's actually dad's sense of humor. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't mean any ill by it. He might have a secret underwear. It's a coping, coping mechanism as well, isn't it? Yeah. yeah bring you some humor it to it, I think. Absolutely. It doesn't matter. It's, um, mm. either. It's, uh, um, I mean, it, it does for a lot of people on it. That's really, that's, that's actually very tough, but, um, that's just who dad is. So just accept that. And I sort of sometimes just quietly observe, make observations about why maybe that's not appropriate if it's for another person. Right. Um, but actually my family has been great. Um, my, my mum, both mum and dad really struggled for a start. Um, my grandparents um, found out from an article in the listener um, who wow. didn't know had printed in it that um, most people don't know I'm gay. I mean, it was like a blowout bubble on the on an article on the on the front on the on the page. There's a page, sort of full full page photograph of me. Well, that was the oh, that was the excerpt that they wanted to put on the front. So um, would you recommend coming out via media and social media? Or is oh, no, no, not really, actually. I would um, <laughs> just give them a, just let them know. Um, yeah. I had to tell uh, my, when I told my mum that I was gay, well, first of all, I couldn't say the word gay. It was too scary. Yeah. So I had to come out as not straight. <laughs> oh, right. And I, to me, it seems so funny that, uh, mum, I'm not straight. Um, and the first thing she said was, is it your best friend? I said, No. <laughs> It's not, but um, I couldn't bring myself to tell my dad and I asked her not to tell him and yeah, sure. she rang me um, next day and said, I've told your father. <laughs> oh, really? So, yeah, that was, that didn't, yeah. yeah. And yeah, he was the same, went, went into a sort of quiet reflection for a few weeks, I think, a mourning period. And then yeah. you're so right when you say just time heals everything because it went from can't talk about it, don't accept it, to how's it going with that thing that you're up to, that lifestyle that you lead, to uh, would like to meet your partner, to now being so involved in that part of my life, you know, like super involved. But that's 10 years, you know, a 10-year process to get to that point. So I think, and you you have to look at it from their perspective um, that it it is a huge change. You're changing to them. It's not good or bad. It's just a huge change for them, and they have to come to terms with that. Um, and I think that does just take does just take it just time. takes time, which yeah. is the hardest part. I think when when I came out, one of the hardest parts, and I was the same as you. I just moved away from Christchurch. I was living in Blenheim, the gay Ooh, capital, of, <laughs> gay capital <laughs> of New Zealand. Not at all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I sort of told everyone within about a two or three week period, all my family and best friends, and you do feel quite alone. Like a lot of my, a lot of them just needed time to go away and deal with it. So yeah. it went very quiet, you know, it was a very lonely period, which is, mm-hmm. I completely understand, but it's a, uh, it's a challenging time. I can see why people really still struggle with that. Yeah, Though I think it's tough. easier now than, than ever, but um, yeah, it's it, tough. It's a, I guess that one little coping mechanism I've used over the years is that Guinness doesn't, um, doesn't define me or who I am. It's just yeah. it's just kind of an extra thing. Blonde hair, um, I'm gay. It's like it's 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 not it's not for me now. I mean, I came out about ten years ago, and I was pretty yeah, I was seventeen. Um, it just wasn't. It, it's just not. I don't even really think about it so much now. You just it, it's just you just it is who you are. But it's not all you are. Mm. Um, so I'm careful not to put too much. Um, to sort of hype my hype in my own head it up too much. I just, just try and keep relatively um, 
uh, low skill um, about it. Can you two seconds? I just got someone at the door. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Like that, um, a lot of people do define themselves by being gay, which I find interesting. That that'll be who they are. That's who they introduce themselves. That's how they are. They 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 didn't. I think that's fine, but like Sam says, that's personally, that's not for me either, like to to define yourself as that. Like for me, it's a, an extra extra part of me, but not all of me. Are you back, Sam? I'm back, sorry no, about that's that. Okay. Yeah, I think for me, I'm the same as you. I think it's a part of me, but it's not who I am. It doesn't define me. Yeah. Um, Hundred percent. I'm still proud of it, but still, yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not the only thing. I, <laughs> the only thing I am. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's a tough one because actually, for a lot of people, it's it is so much who they are. Mm. Uh, and it was for me for a time. Do you still? Wanna... How do you introduce yourself if you're meeting someone new? How long will you let it go before you mention it, or will you not mention it, or will it just come out naturally? Uh, Normally, I'd mention about my partner or my partner Tyler, right? Um, and then you yeah. see this little click in their brain. I'm like, oh, <laughs> homo, <Yeah. laughs> the homo click, the homo click. Okay, that's uh, that's the homo. Um, but they don't care. I mean, I just don't think people. It's just not. I just. It's not really. I almost think it's just not newsworthy anymore. It's, uh, um, there is. There, we all know someone who's 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 gay or lesbian or um, many of us know. I know a lot of people who are transgender too, and that's. Um, I just think that's the the most courageous people, um, mm. really being who they are. Um, and that's why you know, just I always like to call myself out when you know you're walking down the street and you see, um, in this example, you see someone who's maybe quite a large person and you're like oh they're a bit fat um that's what you think but just don't say it and just try and eradicate those thoughts uh, and 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 try to eradicate those little reactions that we have to other people those little judgments that we make um and we i just find you live a bit of a uh, happier life um if you if you're not forever judging others mm. um, and making those little those little comments and even if they're only internal um well, it's a very normal thing, like to have those those thoughts. I think, but that uh, recognizing that's not you, just having those thoughts. Exactly. Yeah. The amount of times well, you said you mean, want to kill someone in your head, but you don't actually yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, but you right? don't actually so, want to kill them. Yeah. No, that doesn't that that isn't you. So, you, yeah, I think you have those thoughts, but you don't have to acknowledge them. Yeah. Or, um, I think yeah. Actually, you, I think you taught me that on a on a, on a call. Actually, uh, it's just coming back to me now. Uh, when you said it's not you, I'm like, oh, actually, maybe you taught me that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a what? That's a worry. Yeah, you reminded me. That's a concept that I really um, love. Yeah. So you um, moving on a bit. You you became quite a public face of the earthquake. You know, for being a founder of the student volunteer army. So. Mm-hmm. If you go back to first of all that day, uh, February twenty second, two thousand eleven, where are you on that day? I was actually in Wellington. Oh right. Uh, so I don't have a whole lot of emotional connection to the earthquake itself, and um, I was in Mexico actually recently when the other big earthquake happened just this year, mm. or end of last year. Um, but that was the second big earthquake. So we'd already sort of started the SVA. Um, in the first earthquake. Okay, so it started in September. Yeah, and that was that was a Facebook group and invited um, 200 friends to a page, and then some friends offered to help, and 
we formed a team and would turn up at people's doors and help shovel some silt uh, from people's homes. Because most of uh, the huge part of Christchurch, uh, the land liquefied, so sort of the silt and sediment bubbled up under people's houses and caused a lot of issues. So um, basically we got a whole group of students to go and wish shovels and wheelbarrows and help clean it up and, and clear it out. And uh, so at the peak of it, we had um, 11,000 uh, volunteers, um, about 1,500 a day uh, over a, a sort of two or three-week period. Um, and so we just built a sort of team and a bit of a machine to, to manage it all and, and, and grow it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, so it's funny because it, it got so much hype and there's so much media attention and um, from it. But honestly, I, I think it was much easier than trying to run a business, I have to say, <laughs> um, because everybody wanted to help. It was the right thing to do. Everybody wanted to see it be successful. Everyone mm. wants to see it um, uh, work mm. and, 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 and work out well. Um, so, so how did it? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it, it, it was a, a, one of the, the, the best stories of the earthquake. I think that's why it put you on the map because suddenly you were all over the TV and the newspaper and everything uh, as being this one of those. Uh, silver lining type stories coming from the earthquake. Wow, look at this guy and all these people and what they're doing. Um, yeah, I and I think that's exactly it. it. I mean, in, in a crisis, people want someone, someone, something to look towards that they can they can give them some hope. Sure. And I think that's what the student army and our, the team of people. You know, I, I wouldn't even say it was my team. It was just it was just the right thing to do. Mm. It was the right thing for the student population to do. Um, and like everything, we all have our roles which we fulfil. Um, and I happened to start it, and um, then was sort of the face of it. And that was a particular role that I had. And then we had um, uh, w- w- our team, the sort of fifteen of us in the core team, all worked to, to fill a different role to, and to help put the thing together. Um, so people would turn up in the morning and would give them a shovel and a wheelbarrow and a training and a a map, and they'd go out to the, the suburb where we were working that day, and they'd shovel silt. Um, and, and I guess for a start, we thought we were pretty amazing because look at all that we're, we're creating here, and it's great. Um, and we're moving all the silt, but actually, the only thing that was important that we did was be there and talk to people, um, and provide a whole lot of hope to people who were absolutely distraught and so scared hope that actually people are coming and people care mm. um and so i've worked a lot in the last five years in disasters um right around the world and one of the thing that always um things that always strikes me is that we, we actually don't prioritize the the small support to everyday people in their homes after a major incident or disaster Right. Um, actually, the guy who's head of the red cross for uh, indonesia recently admitted he said look we just don't we don't do spontaneous volunteering. We don't manage um, those people like I was or people like, um, I mean, just everyday people who want to help out. We've all got skills. We've all got great gifts. We're not very good in the world at dealing with those skills and putting them in, um, putting those, mobilizing them into action. Mm. Um, and it doesn't take much to do. Um, it just has to be done. Um, and so we did it. 
uh, and it's yeah, it's um, it's not unique, but it is a bit of a phenomenon, um, and it's really had a huge impact around the world and the disaster risk reduction community um, as an example. And look at what a group of um, fifteen students did in New Zealand. They mobilised all their friends to go and clean up clean up after the disaster, um, and. And that's really the basics of disaster. It's almost so simple, isn't it? Like it's, um, it doesn't need a huge organisation behind it and massive amounts of donations and funding. It's just mobilise a bunch of people that want to help. That's right. Yeah, and get and, them to um, work. And use all different platforms to do it. So we used social media was huge, right. Facebook, but we also we used mainstream media and we had experts help us with that. We used TV media and had um, experts help us with that. We um, used just. I don't think there's any silver bullet for all these things. It's sort of nudging yeah. each little bit along um, and uh, and figuring it out. So where does it go from there? So 2011, like from an outsider's perspective, it's you're on TV quite a bit. You're hanging out with John Key. He's complimenting you. You're hosting Prince Charles. You're hosting the Dalai Lama. Things just seem to go from strength to strength for you after that. <laughs> No, it was a great. Um, it's been a great uh, five or six years. Um, uh, we started a foundation and we did a big project called the concert, um, where the only way to get a ticket to this music event was to do four hours of volunteering. Um, so since then, I guess it was. I mean, it was um, the, the student army was sort of seen as a an amazing feat, but people thought, oh, that'll be a one-off. And so it's always been my interest. Of, well, how do we actually? This is what all people are like, anyway. I think um, and people, when something bad happens, people want to help. And if there's a problem, people want to help. Um, you, you just got to give them this trust and this sense of permission that they can help. Um, and so the other two things we basically I sort of built this foundation around. And um, yeah, we, we with the foundation, we just want to find ways that we can mobilize everyday people to contribute their skills. Um, to make a difference and learn something from it and, and, um, and sort of further further the, I guess, the Kiwi ethos of helping out. Um, yeah. And, and that's had its successes and huge failures. Um, <laughs> I had, We had a big team of us we were working and, and I was the problem in the concert team, actually. I was the one who was um, so belligerent about making this concert work um, that I caused a couple of the team members to resign because that was so difficult to work with. Mm. Um, and honestly, I've learned more. I learned more from that than um, than anything. I mean, just what you, did you learn from that? Thank you. That your priorities and expectations are totally different to everyone else's. Um, and and I guess a bit of the difference between um, uh, working as a team and working as an individual. Um, and also just how how not to work with people actually <laughs> um, yeah just it kind of has parallels to the stuff with your dad yeah it, 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 interestingly enough it does yeah we were a really young team and um, had a time again I would um, I would employ older people um, who right. have more experience in dealing with crisis and dealing with well not crisis just dealing with everyday things, everyday management issues that our team of, um, of 22-year-olds just had no idea about. Um, and I guess one of the things with our new company now, and um, which I can talk about soon, but they, 
we work a lot with older people and just this untapped wisdom in different ages of people. Um, and for that project, we didn't tap into it um, enough. Um, and then we did actually, we got our chairman to step in and help, help run the thing. And just, he just, it wasn't complex. It was just, um, we just were inexperienced. And so admitting that actually, look, I've got no idea what we're doing here. Um, generally, and, and we actually need help with it. There's a difference, I think, admitting you don't know what you're doing and then actually, because um, we all don't know what we're doing, but we sometimes actually I need I need a lot of help with this to reach our, reach our deadlines. Mm. So some regrets, looking back? Some regrets, yep, some regrets. Um, just only a couple, actually. Generally, I'm pretty, pretty content and um, learn from mistakes and... Um, Couple of times when I wish I had been more, um, I had backed myself more, uh, because you know, right or wrong, I still think I was right on a couple of situations. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple of times I'm for like, no, no, I was completely wrong. Um, but sometimes after the, after the incident and the concert, I really, uh, I lost a lot of my confidence. I lost confidence in what my skills was. Went back to being like I was at high school. I was very. Um, uh, yeah, I just 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 knocked down quite a few pegs, and I didn't feel my skills were useful for much. Mm. And so it's taken a long time to sort of build that back up. Um, and uh, yeah, that, so that was tough, um, but not necessarily a bad thing. So how do you introduce yourself now? Like, what what are you sort of working on? If someone, you know, you meet someone at a networking event, how do you kind of introduce yourself now? I am an entrepreneur, and I have a company called We Visit, and it's a visiting service for elderly people, um, designed basically for expats and people living living busy lives, um, whose parents or elderly loved ones could use um, a helping hand around the house. Um, and what we do is we find a, a local uh, young visitor to go around and do our jobs, help out, chat, um, little things that we largely do with the with the older person. So you know. Um, change the light bulbs, reset the clocks, um, help with dinner preparation or, or, or some gardening, mow the lawn. It's just those little jobs that as grandchildren we all do and we all know how to do. But sometimes we just don't have the time um, ourselves to do it. Uh, yeah, I love this concept so much and there's a lot of expats listening to this I know. So um, that thought of having oh, elderly parents back home you know what a great um, what a great service to have people go and check on them. Do they? Is there some way that the the person living overseas or so could check back in with the, the visitor just to see how things? Yeah. Are so going? what we what we do that's I guess the main offering. We 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 keep families connected by sharing an update of our visit. So we take something we're doing together um, and we write a little story and share a memory back with the whole family or just the person who um who who who, who who's ordered the service, and so. Um, expats or families buy the service. This is a subscription service. Uh, and then we find and vet uh, and really carefully train the visitor. Uh, we match them based on personality. So the old guy I was talking with this morning with his family, um, he loves horse racing. He's 94, and he desperately wants to teach someone in the younger generation about horse racing because he thinks it's, a, it's an <laughs> art that's being lost. Um, cool. And so now we're hunting for a visitor who loves horse racing or could be interested in it. Um, and so they could spend and they'll spend some time together. 
And we so visit once the, a week. Um, and, yeah. Okay, once a week. So what are some of the, the success stories so far? What are some of the things you've heard or um, you know, some of the connections that have been made so far? Well, I think that one that we had over Christmas I just really love um, is uh, we visited this lovely lady called Sally. And she is um, 86. She lives in her own home. And I went and introduced our visitor to Sally after her, her daughter bought it. And her daughter is an only child um, and was going away on holiday over um, over Christmas. So we, we she bought the service and we um, arranged a visitor. Um, I went along and I was sitting on the couch having a cup of tea and this beautiful piece of shortbread she made. So good. Wow. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and Kirsten, our visitor, said, Oh, look, notice on the table there was a book of, um, you know, Dummies Learn to Draw, one of those sort of learning to draw books, and said to Sally, oh, uh, Sally, are you learning to draw? And Sally went back into sort of quite, um, she was quite uh, shy and nervous, actually. Um, and she, she sort of um, looked down and she said, oh, no, I, I, I'd love to, but I don't have the confidence to start and the words are too small, I can't quite see them. And Kirsten just said, oh, look, well, let's do that next week. I would love to learn to draw too. Wow, so um, cool. And, and Jill, we saw her, the daughter, and uh, who came running up and just said, look, this has changed my mum's life. This is the most excited she's been about anything in a year. Wow. Uh, she has someone who is there, um, not just family, but just someone who's really there only for them um, mm. and is just patient um, our visitor Kirsten, she is a um, she's a PhD student at um, at the University of Canterbury, uh, and it's just the most lovely lady um, who who wants. She's actually from Germany, so doesn't get to spend much time with older people, hmm. um, and and so just just loves it. Wow. Um, so it, that's I guess that, that's uh, my favourite story at the moment. Yeah, um, that's so sweet. And, uh, yeah, everyone with and grandparents just, can relate to that, right? But, totally. Yeah. So I'm pretty happy with um, sort of where where we're at, and the thing I want to do with it is uh, is fix social connection in the country. I mean, social isolation is this huge issue um, mm. that puts uh, it causes dementia, uh, it causes heart disease, um, it causes anxiety and depression, it causes people to move into rest homes quicker, mm. um, and actually uh, m- most of the population of our older sort of uh, pl- 85 plus people. Um, only get one or two social interactions a week wow. um, that are really meaningful. And there's mm. a lot of, if you're living in a home, you know, the tea lady drops by the tea and you have something like that. But that really focused, individualized um, friendship, I guess, and that companionship, um, that's the stuff that actually prevents dementia. Yeah. And if we can prevent dementia, we all live longer anyway, but it, but no one likes to see their parents actually go into this um, state. So we heavily train our visitors on how to how to deal with that. And um, yeah, I just hope we can have a lot of fun with it and we can help families stay connected um, when we all live and travel all around the place. I love it. I just love this idea so much. <laughs> it's just so, so cool. I know this is going to be a huge, huge social enterprise that you've started no it's going to be really big if people want to get involved what's the the best way to get involved as a a visitor you know if they are say an expat that wants to use the service yeah well uh just go to our website uh www.wevisit.co.nz or 0800 we visit um and have a chat to us you can sign up as a visitor or you can um sign up uh, a family member um or you can 
um, actually sponsor someone. Uh, there is um, social isolation is a huge problem, and if you um, think you'd like to support us, you can just um, sponsor. Uh, basically, you know, adopt a granny, um, and we'll we'll find someone and help and help them out. Because there's a there's a huge number of those sort of people who whose family, for whatever reason, don't talk to the older person or hmm. aren't in communication or not financially able to buy the service. Um, and so we're launching a campaign soon where you're able to um, basically adopt a adopt a granny and um, help you know help teach young people um, the skills that matter uh, and help prevent someone older getting dementia. Well, I mean, it's so amazing. On one part of me, feels very sad, you know, about like you said, having that social isolation being such a big issue. But seeing what you're doing there, and I know it's only going to grow, you know, from strength to strength, gives me a lot of hope that that will be solved and. Yeah, yeah I mean, a it's, real difference to those people. For me, it's a fixable problem. There's no reason why we can't fix it because I know, I know, on the street just down from where I live, where I am right now, there is an older person that doesn't get many visitors. Um, mm. But there's no social permission for in our world anymore to go and do much about that, um, and that's a result of the times we live in. You can't change that, um, but we can put in new interventions. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, keep up the good work. Oh, thanks. The, uh, the last question I want to ask you, it's something I ask all the guys that I talk to, and it pertains to your dark side. It's a little bit of a personal question, but the people that listen get a lot out of it. And it's, you know, the dark side, it, it's whatever that means to you, but um, sometimes it can be like a sexual thing or an anger thing or just, you know, a, a part of you that, um, yeah, the darker side of you. So I'm interested... Do you feel like you have a dark side? And if so, what would it be? <laughs> wow, what a question. Um, after just talking about, you know. <laughs> Save the best for last. <laughs> um, a dark side. I probably, like, I can get pretty um, pretty grumpy. And I think that can be, that's probably the dark side of me. Um and it's often that I don't know how. What I, I'm not quite sure what to do about something, or I can't figure it out, and that's sort of in a spiral of um, darkness. Um, and just learning how to channel that into the right way. Um, mm-hmm. At the moment, it's in the last over summer, it's been um, mountain biking. Um, so right. that's been that's been good fun. Um, is yeah, that, is that guys, what you mean? You yeah, more, a lot of guys um, talk about like having that kind of that anger inside them and not having ways to channel that or like you say like you know getting grumpy or getting um angry and figuring out how to deal with that um yeah so how does it kind of play out for you uh it would it, 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 well okay so it's like this i i, I feel um my head it's like rushing and i get this sort of I can feel the blood basically rushing around my head, uh, and I get really frustrated at anything. And I, I generally would, my instinct is to take it out on something completely frivolous, um, <laughs> which is completely beside. No, it's not the. That's not the issue at all. Like a, um, like something breaking at home, or you know, um, uh, order lunch and it's completely wrong. I mean, just being kind of. It would just really drive me absolutely insane, and um, insane to the point I'd, I'd actually, you know, everything is the end, the world is totally ending, um, and that's the sort of mindset that you can get that I occasionally get in. Uh, I guess that would be my dark side because it's a total, um, 
negative. It's just a negative downward spiral where this is wrong and bad, and this is bad, and this is bad, and this is going to be bad. And you get yourself in that mindset. You're stuck in that mindset. Um, and you're, I'm just stuck. And sometimes it lasts for a day. Um, sometimes it's uh, more. Um, and I've been doing a lot of work on myself recently just because um, I, it's a stressful time at the moment because we're starting a new business. Um, and I'm investing a lot of my own money into that. Uh, mm. We're not sure how it will go. Um, uh, and so it's easy to be in a negative space. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's, I'd say that's, that how does it play out with your partner? Like Tyler, when you're in that state, does it affect negatively on your relationship? We, we're pretty good at knowing when other, when each other is in a, is in a dark place. Right. Um, and are pretty good at, um, either calling each other out about it or suggesting to the other person that they need to go and do the thing that takes it away. Mm. So for me, normally it's going swimming. Um, right. and I go swimming and then I go and have a sauna and do a bit of meditation uh, and that's what I've been doing a lot in the last six months um, and for Tyler it's going mountain bike riding with a friend um, right. and so we, we know our things that get us completely wound up and then often actually it's just sitting down and talking with each other mm. um, and to, but talking like actually really talking to each other Um yeah, it's having the ability to kind of calm down enough that you can have those conversations without it being yeah, <laughs> nasty. each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. I think that's um, that's one element. I get, uh, yeah, I think the there's another side where I, I, like I'm a really driven person, um, mm. and I uh, sort of not not shy about that. Um, and I like I like seeing things happen and making things happen. Um, whether that's a dark side or not, I'm not. Um, yeah yeah I think that's I just spoke about this on my last um, last podcast about that feeling of being driven and how it can have a negative impact if it's left you know if you just follow it blindly it can really take over your life that that ambition and drive because it can get you a lot of good things in life and it can help you reach a lot of goals but it can also isolate you it can also be hard on relationships it can be uh, you know you can burn out and that's what that's sort of what I was talking about before with um with our foundation. It was this going too fast, too far, too far, too fast, um, and we burnt through relationships and burnt through goodwill. Um, I, I don't think it's worth it actually. Um, I was having a big debate with a friend of mine, a couple of friends at dinner the other night who were quite pretty successful entrepreneurs, and um, an offhand comment was, "Oh, I'm just so sick of dealing. I've got a team of B players," um, <laughs> and I was just like. And I really, he said, he said beforehand, you know, you'll hit me for this. And, and I did um, because it was the worst display of character. Even if you think that about your team, I mean, that's the worst thing you can say because if you even think you, you, you manifest that and then they become B players um, and, and the, th- the whole thing spirals downward. Yeah. Um, I mean, no one is perfect and we're not um, sure we will want people who are just like us because we, you know, we all amazing, but, um, the quicker we can get over that concept, and if anything I've learned about leadership, it's that importance of um, listening to the people around you um, and trying to be the best version of yourself when you're in public, um, and and deal with your deal with your shit out of it. Um, don't deal with shit in front of your your team and make them feel terrible or sort of blast them for being B players in the background. Um, yeah, because it just doesn't. Um, 
if you burn the relationships, you, 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 that's, that's, that's what we are. We're just a whole lot of people who work with other people. And at so the end of the day, as a leader, that's, it's your responsibility to create A players. It's not their responsibility. Exactly. It's, that's your well, that's container. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. One of the, the, the Queen, um, Queen Elizabeth, I read her book a while ago, and it really taught me um, something quite amazing, which was um, her view is that we have to, it's our job to find something interesting uh, with the, in those with whom we speak. It's not, it's not the person we talk to. Just because you're talking to someone, you're like, oh, that boring is anything. It's mm. not their job to be interesting. <laughs> it's your job, if you're talking to them, to find something interesting in them. Because everyone has something interesting. Um, and I really believe that. And, and that's, that's the challenge in leadership. Everyone, we're all good at something. We've all got some sort of gift. How do we unlock it and mobilize them to do something good or useful? And, uh, that's yeah. right. That, that's the secret. There's that quote that I love um, that people won't remember what you say. They'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah, I think it's that's that, right. I mean, that's amazing, right? Like, that's an amazing concept when you really, really stop and think about that quote. Like, how did, if you're in an interaction and that person's boring, how can you make them feel like the most interesting person in the room? Totally, yeah. Yeah. So, hmm. Excellent wisdom, Sam. I appreciate, um, oh, I I appreciate you being so open about uh, everything. <laughs> it'll, it'll, just, it'll be really valuable for everyone listening. Well, I hope it goes well. I think that just it's um, yeah, just everyone's sort of just making it up along the way. Um, so <laughs> look after yourself and put yourself first, um, and uh, and uh, do something good with your time. Uh, something that leaves the world in a better place. Um, is, is my view. Yeah, wise words. Where can people find you if they want to contact you or reach out to you on social media? Oh, just uh, you can find me on Facebook, Sam Johnson, or uh, Twitter at Sam Johnson SVA, um, or just a website, samjohnson.co.nz, um, or as I say, wevisit.co.nz. And uh, really curious um, if people have got thoughts or um, ideas they want to, I'm always really open uh, to those and um, would be glad to have a chat. Well, there you go, folks. My chat with Sam Johnson. What an awesome guy. I just love Sam. I love talking to him, and I just really appreciate him being so open and honest with uh, that discussion. Check his new company out, We Visit, wevisit.co.nz. And if you like this episode, please do me a favor and share it on Facebook or give it a like. And I really want this podcast to grow, but I do need your help to share it around, mention it to a friend, share it on social media, and give it a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll be back next week with episode number seven of The Nathan Seward Show. That was The Nathan Seward Show. Personal conversations with powerful men.